The situations aren't permanent. We create our own future. So if it's a temporary stop in a place that you feel stuck and you're suffering on Sunday, just know that there's learning in that challenge. There's opportunity in that challenge and take what you can from it and show up as the best version of you because people that do that consistently end up in a good place. Win Monday Nation, what is going on? Here we are early 24 and I cannot be more fired up to have this conversation because we're going to come at it again with a 2x level of impact. Key word of the day here is going to be impact, making a difference, leaving people in places better than we found them. But I am joined by two of the most high octane, high impact people that I know, one of which was without even knowing it all the time, a mentor in the sports business industry. Another has turned into a dear friend and a brother in impact. I've actually seen him speak. And so one of them may have hired the other in the past and they kind of got this interesting relationship. They are also blood brothers, but just wanted to welcome to the Win Monday podcast, Ryan and Chad Estes. What is going on, boys? Hey, Paul, thanks. Thanks for having us, man. Looking forward to this conversation. Good to be with you, Paul. Looking forward to it, brother. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start off. Of course, we're going to say impact over under my guess is about 92 times in the next half hour or so. So let's see if we end up over under, but here's how I want to kick it off. And either one of you can go first. Impact is fill in the blank. Impact is. Yeah, I, I think impact is, a, and you used it, you know, it's one of our, our guiding principles at Impact 11. It's, it's leaving things better than you found it. And I think that specifically pertains to people. So it's a common sentiment in the world, but when you think about sales as an act of service or, or leading high performance teams, we should always think about leaving people better than we found it. And then we've made an impact. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. I would say for me, Paul, impact is creating a place that people like to come to work. That's simple. I think uh, I say this often, but if you're going to make a living by showing up at a place for eight, nine, sometimes 10 hours a day, that should be a place you have a desire to go. And I think as leaders, it's our responsibility to do the best we can to create that. And I think leaders have the largest impact on, on if it's a good place to show up every day. And yeah. uh, that, that's a big part of what the second half of the book is with the nine tactics. I think that that's probably kind of a theme when I think of all of them is if you're doing those things well, then, then it should be a great place to, to show up and uh, enjoy your work. For sure. And here on Win Monday, of course, Monday is very intentional. There's not win Tuesday, win Wednesday for a couple of reasons. And I'll quickly riff on this. I believe that all momentum is born on Mondays. Like that is the kickoff party, right? And in a world that says TGIF, our tribe attacks Monday. Like that's where we start and we just keep hitting the reset button and, and the whole piece. But there's also this element of, well, most folks would connect work with Monday. Like that's when you go back to work, assuming you can take weekends off or even if you slightly get away. And I think for a lot of folks, that feeling of the opposite of what you just said, Chad, that probably kicks in the second half of Sunday, right? Like I've heard terms like, oh, the Sunday scaries or whatever people call it. But like, I know for the three of us and for a lot of folks that are listening in, like, dude, even if we're coming off a, a long weekend or a crazy weekend or whatever it is, like we're ready to go, man. We're ready to attack it because we realize the impact if we show up at our best on Mondays. But let me ask you this. Maybe we'll start here. What if somebody isn't feeling fired up about work? 
Like, what if somebody's not in a great spot and like maybe on Sunday they're having this internal gut feel? What's one small thing, whether it's a mindset shift or a tactic that they can do to kind of rejuvenate and revitalize how they feel about getting into it on Monday? The first thing I thought when you were saying that as a leader is, am I aware of that? Like, am Mm. I connected enough to the people to actually know if someone's out there struggling just to get themselves in? And why and what what's going on there. So we wrote in the book about, you know, how to carve out time with people to get to know them personally, yeah. of course. And that's just a commitment. I find it one of those things everybody probably knows. So that'd be a good idea to do it. And then, you know, you could really start to ask people how often are people actually doing it? So that's one thing. The other the thing about an individual, like if they're in an environment at work that they don't enjoy for a whole host of reasons, potentially. My whole thing with that is you can create energy around your own environment by yourself, not just mm-hmm. for yourself, but for others. I mean, Ryan talks about how do you show up every day just as an individual. I talk to a lot of people that aren't in leadership roles. And one of the things we talk about is um, you're a leader by how you interact with the people around you. You know, everybody can decide if they want to show up with good energy or negative energy. And that's just a personal choice. Even if you're in a bad situation, I, I've been in mm. some of my career where, you know, I didn't necessarily love the culture or the leadership that I was around. And then I just thought it was up to me to create my own positive energy in my environment in the, in the things that I could control. And that's really all you can do. I mean, that's your own self-talk. How am I, how am I personally going to approach this? For sure. That's my, my, my belief on that. Yeah. The, the only build I, I would have on that is at the individual level is look for the lesson. You know, we do, we, in our workshops, we do this exercise called best boss, worst boss. Mm. And, you know, we sort of index the learning that took place on our trajectory to today. And some of the learning from the worst boss experiences is fascinating. I mean, you, to Chad's point, even if you're in a bad situation, if you look at it as an experience and learning, and sometimes, you know, in your own trajectory, I think we both shared the experience of recognizing we're not going to lead a team like this. So this isn't the environment we're going to create if we have, when we have the opportunity going forward. And so the self-awareness piece is huge, man. And it's just recognizing that situations aren't permanent. We create our own future. So if it's a temporary stop in a place that you feel stuck and you're suffering on Sunday, just know that there's learning in that challenge. There's opportunity in that challenge and take what you can from it and show up as the best version of you because people that do that consistently end up in a good place. Mm, Yeah, love everything you guys just said. Best boss, worst boss. Chad, Ryan, we do a thing on Win Monday where every other, so we're joined today and then the next episode is going to be Paul's take and it's me riffing organically on one thing that is more tactical by nature. So I may even go best boss, worst boss on the next piece. And Chad, going back to what you said super quick on this one, we always talk about owning your temperature. Like if each person had a thermostat, like every time you walk in a room or that you hop on a Zoom meeting or whatever you do, are you warming it up or are you cooling it off? Are you aware of your own temperature? So that's something that we always rally around on this show. And so I, I think you're really bringing us there. But let's go back. So it was a couple of years ago, Chad, you were actually on the prior version of what now is the Win Monday podcast. It was Playmakers and I had you on. And it was really funny, man, because we know each other from legends, which of course has the Cowboys ties where you're now head of business ops and Yankees and all these other wonderful brands that have been through it. And I've worked for many of them and that's where we locked arms for many years. But I remember seeing something called the 30 steps to success, which are obviously a massive, massive, massive piece of the book. And 
I thought it was a Legends thing. I thought it was a Chad thing. And I like, I was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, so feeling it, man. Like I'm in, right? And then like you dropped this bomb on me and you're like, actually, I might've like misspoken on a couple. (laughs) You're like, yeah, yeah. Let's unpack this. Yeah, yeah. Let's unpack it, man. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, he likes this because he he, (laughs) I was taking credit. It's just one of those things where after the years went by, I just it, it it wasn't the first thing I said was, hey, my brother wrote these like, sure. It was just like, hey, here's the training manual. Here's the 30 steps. And to your point, you know, you weren't necessarily saying I said I wrote them yeah. or legends created them or the Cowboys created them. They just existed. I just missed out on the licensing fees and the royalty. He, he's getting his he's getting his fair amount of credit now in the book. Yeah. And so, yeah, the 30 steps have been a part of every training program I've ever been a part of from the my very first leadership position at the Pistons, which was about five years after Ryan provided those steps to me. And I think they're valuable in all aspects of life and certainly still today, completely relevant. And that's why they're in the book. And look, the feedback, the early feedback from the book as people are reading it is they're absolutely finding value in those 30 steps as I thought and knew they would. So, uh, so yeah, man, those things are, those Mm. things are gold and they're, they'll live on likely forever. To win Monday and beyond, we all know that confidence is the ante to play and I want to help. So if you haven't already head over to my website and take your very own confidence quiz, where you'll walk away knowing your confidence score one to a hundred. You'll also get my 12 keys to build and sustain unshakable confidence. Your quiz is waiting at paulepsteinspeaks.com. May Navbar hit confidence quiz. Again, that's paulepsteinspeaks.com and you'll find your very own confidence quiz right there in the main navbar. With that, let's get back to the show. I love it. All right, so Ryan, quick one for you and then I'm going to come back to both of you. So Ryan, if you could synthesize the essence of what are these 30 steps of success, not specific ones, because I'm going to get there next, but like just generally, what is it? It's a framework for sales success. The genesis of 30 steps really were about impact. I wanted to have a positive impact on Chad. He called me, he was struggling. And I was a couple of years ahead of him and figured out how to have some success after emerging from what you know, I thought was going to be getting fired from my first sales job. And I caught a break, figured it out. But when Chad asked for help, you know, I was down that path, immersed in self-study, learning, books on tape, reading, goal setting. I mean, I was a different person. And so the 30 steps was just, it was a culmination of all of that self-study effort and work I had done for two to three years. And uh, I would say it's a framework, right? They're guiding principles, that individual contributors can use, one, to certainly have sales success, but two, to create some velocity in their career trajectory. Mm. It's it's a mindset. It's a framework. You know, it's a little bit, it's an ethos. And I think that's how they're meant to be leveraged. And, you know, whatever, whatever tenure or level of success you've had, it's even me personal, when I, you know, doing podcasts, talking about the book, when I go back and look at them, there'll be one or two things where I'm reminded, yeah, I, I'm slipping on that or yeah, I haven't done that really well lately. So I think it's a good checklist to check in on. And it's nice to see that's how people are using them. I love it. I love it. All right, Chad, we'll go to you and then Ryan, come back to you. And I, I know this is tough. And regardless of what hat you wear in life, whether you 
have kids or not, one of the worst things that you could ask is like, oh, so it's like choosing a favorite kid. So you guys know where I'm going with this next question. I'm not going to ask you which of the 30 is your favorite. I'm going to ask it in a very specific way. Which of the 30 steps has had the greatest impact on your life? Yeah. Wow. It's hard. I'm going to come up, I'm going to answer it, but I, it is, it is truly the culmination of the majority of them together that can change a mindset. That's what it did for me when I was kind of flailing around and just making all these cold calls and didn't really know what I was doing and feeling very uncomfortable and lack of confidence and no real path. And then, and then you get into those 30 and you you change kind of your outlook on how you show up to work every day. So that that was like the big result is when you spend time in those 30 things. And I'm going to cheat here because I'm going to come up with two. And the, the first one is number one, which is effort. Effort has never let me down. I always thought that I had the ability to apply a lot of effort. And then I thought, well, is that going to get me far enough if maybe... I'm not smart enough, or I lack some of the knowledge, or I don't quite have the expertise, can effort kind of get you through? And in, in some ways, I feel like it has. What that's done for me, Paul, honestly, is internally, I'm like, I always thought, well, I just know I can do that. And I know mm. I'm going to. So if I have that, then you know, my worst case scenario isn't going to be horrible. <laughs> I would, yep. I'll say that. Yep. The second one is self-education. Because mm. one of the things that, you know, it was a big part of what Ryan sent was, you know, hey, man, go teach yourself how to sell. Like, you actually don't know how to do it. And I was like, well, I thought it was just make a lot of calls and work real hard. It's like, no, there's a skill in there that we all now very well know. And there's all kinds of materials. So it's like back then, 30 years ago, go to the bookstore, check out these three books here are the cassette tapes you need to listen to and spend 15 minutes a day getting better at the skill set of sales and you will start to feel more comfortable and more confident. And that was massive for me. Oh, by the way, when I was starting to want to become a leader, I was reading leadership books before I ever got my first leadership job. There you and go. So I actually had a sense of how do I want to do this when that happens and that was the book, Don't Fire Them, Fire Them Up by Frank Bassetta, whose quote is on the front of our book, was probably the most influential book during that time for how I thought I wanted to lead. And uh, so effort and self-education for me. Love it. Yeah. I, you know, he, he took mine, which was self-education. Would you have doubled down too? Would you have cheated as well? I'm going to go to another one that I think is... Um, really instruments the building relationships right it's mm. you know I, I always say that and chad talked about you know building a place where people want to come every day what they're looking forward to in many respects is the relationships they have with people they care about and you know when you feel like you're part of something larger than yourself and you're connected to something and you're and you're contributing to something that's important and valuable and you're creating impact and you're having fun and doing it with people you love, you know, the relationship component, I always say light life is people. And so I think we've experienced that together, Paul, in the community at Impact 11. Yeah, uh, I think that's a, that's a deep and sort of consistent thesis in the narrative of the book, specific to my relationship with Chad. 
And that's why the project ended up being a lot of fun is that we did it together and we really are better together. So the building relationships, obviously that's mentoring and relationships are huge to create career trajectory, but I also think they, they create fulfillment in life. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. We, we always talk about one of the questions you can ask yourself at the end of a day, whether you want to journal it or however it is that you really memorialize these things is what relationship did I build or enhance today? Like, and that's just like an every day, like no days off. It's just a calling card. And so let's go. I love, I love that question. You know, one that, that I use actually so similar when I'm working with leaders and managers is who did I impact today? And it's an impact. Yeah. Right. And the more specific you can be, I think the better leader or manager you are. For sure. So if life is people, Clearly, and we've crunched some numbers here and depending on what industry you're in, but the average is, especially if you're on the aggressive side, you're going to work over 100,000 hours over the course of a career. And so if we know that, we know most of our waking hours are going to be at this place called work and we want to optimize for that. And that's a large part of why we're having this conversation. But life is also bigger than work. So if life is people, my question for either of you or both of you is, if I don't feel deeply connected to the people at work, where else can I seek out these relationships that can be absolute game changers and needle movers? Like maybe at work is just not, or, or, or a glass half full, maybe it is, but maybe I feel like there's more out there. It's just, it's not enough. I want to really like four X my, the quality of my relationships. How would you advise somebody in that scenario? I think, first of all, you have to be real intentional about it, right? And so there's opportunities all around us. And so I would say, open your eyes, open your mind, and open your heart to make an effort to create meaningful connections. I think there's an art to seeing someone and knowing someone and then being vulnerable enough to be seen and known. And sometimes, um, you know, I think we're uncomfortable with that level of intimacy. And I think that that's changing in the world. But you see, like, it's an issue. You look at loneliness statistics and isolation. I mean, it's, you know, um, when the Surgeon General says loneliness is an epidemic, it's yeah. a health crisis. You know, we, we've arrived at an interesting inflection point. And I think we need, need to get back to orienting ourselves to have those close intimate connections. Uh, family is an obvious choice. And then I think in our communities, too, but it takes it takes time and it takes space to nurture and develop those things. So I'm not married. I don't have kids and I live alone. And so that's something I've had to be really intentional about cultivating it, but it's enriched my life. I have community at home where I live and I've been very intentional about adjusting the way I work to create mm. community. So I have those relationships professionally. And if that's absent, I think having an advisory board, mentors, counselors, I've always worked with a coach or something I call a PBOD, a personal board of directors. Mm. If you have six or eight people that you've reached out to that you respect that are willing to reciprocate and invest back in you. And I found people I've asked are more than willing. They want to help. That's been important for me. So. Yeah, so good. So let's go there. Uh, personal board of directors. That's really solid. So give me an example. So what's the starting point? So if I don't have a personal board of directors, I think I know what you mean. And I usually have a business context I attach to a board of directors. But if I'm listening into this, I say, all right, cool. I want to form a personal board of directors. Like, help me think through that process of assembling in a way that you feel is optimized. Yeah. So a little self-awareness, you know, what are you looking for that you don't have? Or, yeah. what, what, you know, you know, a little gap analysis. If you're here and you're trying to get here, what are you missing? 
Mm. And for me, there, you know, there were some some key ingredients. And so I'll give you a couple of examples about how I might round that out. So Chad would be somebody that would be great for my personal board of directors because he's in industry, right? And if I'm thinking about, you know, how can I grow my business, having a line of sight into things that he thinks are credible, valuable things that he would get, you know, he's a, he's a great advisor. Anyhow, I know I trust him. I know he loves me and he has my best interests in mind. And he's also willing to give me tough, tough feedback when it's called for. My financial advisor, who's also a good friend, you know, he's on that personal board of directors. If I'm going to make a, a big investment or a decision about my business, I want that guidance. I want that counsel. And so I'm rounding that out. My spiritual advisor and life coach, he has a place on there. And because he's giving me a different lens and his perspective and a different kind of fulfillment. So it's not just about my business growth. It's about holistic growth as a person that rounds me out in all aspects of my life that are important. Mm. Yeah, so good. I select people I know that I think have a high probability of saying yes. <laughs> there you go. Nine tactics. So 30 steps to success, massive part of the book. And then we kind of shift gears. It almost felt like a handing off of the baton of, look, for one, I think both, you can call them lists, you can call them frameworks, you can call them whatever you want. At the end of the day, more important than what we call them is who they serve and how they create more impact in people's lives. I think every person in the world can apply both. Like you said, one initially started more for sales. Man, every human being can apply the 30 steps. Obviously, functionally, like maybe there's a, a different type of way that somebody in a sales profession can use it. But even the nine tactics, you talk leadership, but not just all types of leadership, human-centered leadership. So maybe, Chad, you can define what do you mean by human-centered leadership? And then I want to start a double click on them. You know, Ryan and I, we, we've chopped up on these topics over the years and challenged each other and debated and shared a lot of information about what we think is, you know, really good content around leadership. I, I think the biggest thing is like, you know, we all have heard this discussed before and many of us have experienced it. You go from a sales position potentially to a leadership position. You go from worrying about yourself all day to all of a sudden you're supposed to worry about others. And that transition is often hard for people to make and, um, you know, to show up at, at work every day and really be there thinking about the best interests of the people that are on your team is really the human centered leadership. It's um, I'm here now to serve others. Servant leadership has been a term, you know, thrown around a yep. lot. All and so, you know, what, what form or fashion does that come in? Obviously we wrote nine tactics. It's all kinds of day-to-day little things and touch points and and it's just how you show up for your people. And by the way, like I think this all this all goes hand in hand. You could say, well, you know, why would you want to focus on that or why is that so important? Well, at the end of the day, a lot of our jobs are to drive revenue or drive a result for the business. You're going to drive a much better result for the business if you have leaders that are focused on the needs of their people. I'm a big believer in that. So I think when business creates the best results is when you have a great culture. Great culture is developed by, starts with great leaders, and great leaders have the best interests of their people in mind all the time. And that shows up in a whole, a whole bunch of ways. But then what it also does is it creates a reputation of your shop, of your company or your department, and then that allows you to recruit the most talented people. So talent is the most important thing, but great talent doesn't work in bad environments. There are, 
they're gone. If someone's super talented and has a lot of options, they're not sticking around with bad leaders and bad culture. So if you can get this part right, then you can attract the best people and you create the best result for your company. Oh, by the way, then there's a whole nother benefit, which is it feels good. You make all these connections, you make life connections, create lifelong relationships. Work is more fun. Work is a place that you want to go to every day. You actually end up wanting to socialize and be around the people you work with. You have to develop this great team environment. You have a support system because you've got everybody gets to know each other really well and they're there for each other. So it's just like the whole thing makes too much sense. There's two things that get in the way, work (laughs) and time. And when I say work, some leaders are put into situations where it's so difficult for them to be there for their people because of all the pressures of the board or their boss or what the work creates. And so if you can set it up right, you're allowing your leaders to actually have time to be available for their people. And uh, that's when the best results get driven. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you already answered it where I was going to go with this. And Ryan, I'm going to shift to you in just a sec. But Chad, I was going to ask of not only what gets in the way, but I'll just be frank, you know, and whether I say the words human-centered leadership, I certainly, that's the spirit that I really, whether it's on stage or in books or any other type of way of communicating. But look, I think it's getting better, but the perception from the marketplace when you started to hear those types of things was it's soft, it's almost anti-business, especially if you're in this high-pressure, high-performance type of a space where it's all scoreboard and numbers. And so I was going to go where inside of an organization, whether it's the Cowboys or somewhere else, where of course there are expectations. Of course, there's massive standards. Of course, there have to be. But how do you guard against that? And so, Chad, if you have anything to add there in just a hot second, but Ryan, I'm going to just hand the baton over to you real quick to speak more to the entrepreneurs that are listening in. So if Chad's covering more inside leadership, practitioner, inside of an organization, you and I were, were entrepreneurs, man, and we're speakers, we're thought leaders, but it can get a little isolating and there's a lot of other things, but how do you, how do you optimize for this? Like where you just, it's your business baby and you care so deeply about it and you perform or there's no food on the table. Like there ain't no, the postman don't show up every two weeks. There's no direct deposit every two weeks. Like we're entrepreneurs, man. And so we like sometimes can really over index in that part. How do you guard against that and become kind of a human-centered leader for yourself? So consciously, like this, this requires self-awareness. And I, and yeah. I think that's, and, I, and whether you're, whether you're a solopreneur running a business practice, a small business owner, which I am today, you know, I'm scaling a company now, or you're running revenue for one of the world's best brands like Chad is, or a, a Fortune 500 company like I did. Microsoft's CEO is a human-centered leader. It's one of my favorite case studies. And he recently came out and said, look, EQ trumps IQ. Intelligence, mm. ideas, strategy. That's not why you know, business fails or certainly change efforts fail. It's people and the resistance, the most complex part of the business. And, and you know, I thought that was a really powerful sentiment. The soft stuff, it's not soft. It's actually, it's the hardest stuff to get right. But to yep. Chad's point, it's the driver of result. And one of the reasons one of the reasons I was excited to write a book with him is because he embodies what a human-centered leader is. And it's pretty difficult to argue with the result of his organization, you know, in terms of creating value and customer activation. 
Microsoft just overtook Apple as the world's most valuable company. I mean, I think he's regarded as right now the best CEO in the world, and he and he should be. And he's beloved by his employees. He made Microsoft a great culture and a great place to work. And he does it by following the the essence of these core principles. He has a leadership framework called Model Coach Care. And that care is intentional. You know, you, you mm. have to make an investment into the well-being and the interests of people. And so that's that's the company perspective. As a solopreneur or practitioner, you have to make that investment in yourself. And you know, I think you were touching on something. I think there's a lot of solopreneurs. It's it's when you make that shift, as I did, it's easy to work from a place of overwhelm or desperation. You know, the to-do list never ends and you're kind of in anxiety because the check isn't in the mail. And and you really have to learn how to just navigate that uncertainty and settle into it from a place of of confidence. And I, I would say that takes time. Maybe it takes having a few wins under your belt. But when you can get in that groove, I find that the people around you and the marketplace responds and it's healthier for you individually, too. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Confidence is currency. No doubt. No doubt. And it's a muscle. It could be built. You also said something care is intentional. Couldn't agree more. I think even going back, I was a young buck entry level, uh, first time in a positional leadership role. I was sales manager at the, at the time, God awful LA Clippers, uh, circa, I think it was like Oh five. And I remember we had this constitution that I created and I said, work ethic, positivity, coachability. Those were the standards that we held more than revenue performance. And we went from 28th to second in revenue and year over year. And it was, but here's why is I learned you can't coach care. You cannot coach care. I don't have a want to make you care. I don't have a want to make me care. I either care. I don't. It's black. It's white. It's yes. It's no. And so like to find people, to attract people that care. That intrinsic motivation, I think that's that's a signal that you're doing it right. So nine tactics, and I'm a little biased on this one. I'm going to assume they were not written in order of importance because I'm in love with your number nine because, you know, there's a little book out there called Better Decisions Faster. And number nine is something like be decisive. So, of course, I want to quadruple click on this one, guys. So, Chad, I'll kick it to you. Talk to us about being decisive. How does that show up in, in your world? And also maybe talk to us about like a time where <laughs> being decisive has hurt you or maybe there's a story about how you learned this hard lesson. I work for people that are decisive. And I think when I think about it from the perspective of that is that we've all been in situations where decision-making lags and the frustration of that. I think the expectation of leaders when they're asked to make a decision or solve an issue, that's you know part of the expectation is decisiveness. And I, I just think that's at the end of the day, that's what that's what people are looking for. I think of it also in terms of responsiveness. Like, have you ever worked for someone yep. and you send them something and you're like, yeah, I haven't heard back in a week. And then you prompt them again. That happens all the time. So both of those things, uh, decisiveness and responsiveness, there's a little bit of that kind of goes hand in hand. It comes down to respect, you know, but a lot of people work in fear. So some of what you're hoping to create is uh, where there's an aggressiveness and mistakes are okay, and we can get through those mistakes. And I work for two organizations that takes big leaps that are doing things often 
that have never been done before. There's no playbook. You can't go talk to the previous group that just did that successfully and pick their brain. So you're out there on an island and you're taking a big leap. That takes real decisive behavior. Mm -hmm. By the way, within the decisiveness, of course, some of the decisions are going to be wrong and uh, there's going to be some some fallout from some of those things. But then if you're in a place of forgiveness, if you're in a place of understanding, if you're in a place of aggressiveness, then you get through those and learn from them and come out the other side. And that's the environment I'm trying to create where if you're in a place where everybody's on eggshells, if they do one thing wrong or say the wrong thing, you can't have the best business outcomes. And you certainly can't take risks and do them well and and come out the other side of those because uh, people are going to be afraid. It also goes hand in hand, I'll just add to it, with people being comfortable disagreeing with the leader. I yeah. have people that will come on my office and say, are you serious, man? Like, what are you thinking? And and actually like argue it out. So I, of course, I feel like I want and need that. And um, by the way, you know, probably shocking to some, but the Jones family is that way. Jerry mm-hmm. Senior wants dialogue, debate, wants information from multiple sources and is open for all that. Of course, he's, you know, final decision maker at some point. So some of all that is like, too many people, unfortunately, are working in fear-based environments. So that was a lot out of decisiveness, but so much of this stuff all kind of runs together, in my opinion. Can I just build on that for a second? Because I, I think he's touching on something that's really important. He, he, you know, out of decisiveness, he's also talking about, you know, the single key ingredient to high-performance teams, which is psychological safety. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting because I teach, I have some of this data top of mind, right? Well, only 33% of employees would say that management encourages dissent and debate. And only 35% of employees today would say that management tolerates small-scale failures. So if you're not allowed to challenge or question the way things are done, and you're not allowed to take intelligent risks, how are you going to drive innovation and experimentation and leapfrog the competition and gain an advantage? And, And to his point, yeah, too many people today are uncomfortable or work simply to protect their jobs, not to advance. And we're in an interesting time, man. Things are changing so fast. There is no status quo. And if you're not in an environment where you feel comfortable debating ideas and discussing the best way forward and taking chances, you're going to fall behind. And so, you know, pretty quickly here, we we see how the soft skills become actually the key ingredients to driving innovation, performance, and growth. Mm. Mm. So good. Love the spirit of Win Monday? Then join the Win Monday community, an elite tribe of like-minded and like-hearted people just like you and I on a mission to get 1% better every day with unshakable confidence. For Win Monday gear, motivation, and exclusive content just for you, you can find it all at paulepsteinspeaks.com. In the main nav bar, click on community. paulepsteinspeaks.com, main nav bar, hit community. With that, welcome in and let's get back to the show. All right, guys, we're coming down the home stretch here. Before we hit the grand finale, outside of the obvious, there's a little website that starts with A and ends with Mazan. So, you know, outside of that, if the book, hot off the press, prepare for impact. At the time, folks are listening to this. It is still very hot off the press. So not only where can we find the book, 
Where can we follow you? How can Win Monday Nation just lock arms and meet you at the 50? Yeah, my my website's ryanestes.com and I, obviously the book's available, you know, wherever books are sold. And so, yep. uh, yeah, I, I hope people check it out and that it's useful. Cool. All right. Good stuff. Let's end with the hill. Let's end with the hill. I'd love for one of you to share the story of the hill. And then I've got a question for you that we're going to close out with. So uh, why don't you talk to us about a little bit of hell? You can start, Chad, and I'll, I'll build on it. It was, it was your idea. It was your bucket list. Right? Uh, yeah. So uh, we've both been following Jesse Itzler and uh, Jesse's actually, he spoke. I hired him twice to speak to our leadership team at the Cowboys and love a lot of his messaging. And um, obviously one of the things he's into is experiencing really difficult things either by yourself or with others. It's community. Even if you show up by yourself, you'll be part of his community. So, you know, I've been thinking about that a little bit. Ryan and I talk about getting into our final third and how we want to live and, you know, a lot of experiences around people that you love and love to be around. And so this kind of fit a lot of things that I've been thinking about. So Jesse threw it out there that he was doing one of these up in Maine and I reached out to Ryan. We, I think we were just texting. And I was like, what do you think? And he said, I'm in. And, and it was that quick, like all of a sudden, bam, we're doing a half marathon up the hill. So look, we didn't train enough. That's a fact. <laughs> and we showed up. And here's what I would say about it. The, the traveling up the hill, up and down the hill for four hours was extremely difficult, physically difficult. We both had issues during it that at times it looked like we might not make it which would have been okay, but it was, it was a lot more fulfilling that we got through those. But the whole thing was like a a very vivid to this day story that was very fulfilling that we'll have for the rest of our lives. And it just accomplished kind of a lot of things and uh, doing something together, doing something difficult, doing something so out of the ordinary. And I think we both loved the experience. And uh, yeah, I mean, I have a framed picture of us crossing the finish line on my wall at my house, as does Ryan, to memorialize the experience. And uh, it's one of those things, like a brotherhood thing. We did something super cool together. And uh, we'll talk about it and remember it for a long time. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there were lessons out of it too, right? So, you know, one of the lessons for me, you, Chad and I, we've had a pretty healthy sibling rivalry. Obviously, we care about each other. We support each other. That's I certainly think echoed in the narrative of the book, but we push each other and we, we agreed heading into the hell on the hill that we weren't going to race each other. Like this was going to take everything we had just to get through the damn thing. And so we we're going to do it together and cross the finish line together. And we had that agreement at the onset. I'm not going to speak for him, but my my sense is neither one of us would have finished if the other guy wasn't there. I mean, I, you know, we both hit a wall separately at different points in that journey, but it was the support and the counsel and the come on and I'm with you and I'm not leaving you. We're going to finish this thing. It's just you push through that and, and you were doing it, you know, for something larger than yourself. Like, I didn't want me to be the reason we didn't cross that finish line that day. And I think he felt that way too, when he went down. And and so it's like, we kind of helped each other get to that place. And it, there, there's a powerful lesson in that man about teamwork and camaraderie and, and, and doing something in service of something larger than yourself. And uh, it's, mm. it's certainly echoed in Jesse's philosophy. It's a big part of that community and race. And it was a, it was a special experience. Mm. All right. We're going to thank you for teeing this up perfectly and giving us all the 
the context because this is why it matters. It's all about the why. And you've already shared a lot about it, but here's how I want to close out. Chad, we'll start with you and then Ryan, over to you. Great questions for every single member and just everybody inside of Win Monday. Just buckle down, listen in on these questions, listen to the spirit of the responses, and then I want you to ask yourself these questions. So Chad, why are you running this race and who are you running it for? I want to just make sure we're off the hill race and onto the race of <laughs> big, life. Bigger, bigger race, yeah, brother. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, However you want to yeah. define race, but big, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I probably was running it for myself for a period of time. Uh, then I shifted into running it for my family. And then I find great purpose in creating a great place for people to show up and the lifelong relationships that get developed out of that. That's become my purpose. Mm. Brian? Yeah, I, I would say that I'm I'm running the race for um, the people that are around me, uh, you know, the people that I care about, the people that I get to love and love me back. And I think Chad made a point, you know, I, I ran the first, you know, marathon or mile of this journey for myself, for sure. And I think there's there's service in that. There's fuel in that. Uh, it creates momentum. It creates philosophy. But I, I also think there's a point you reach an inflection point in life where you sort of transition from having something to prove to something to give. And I'm, mm. I'm in the, I'm in my season of giving. And so for me, it's, it's about your friends, family, community, and, and the people that my work touches. I'm in service of that now. You know, that's why you write a book like this. And I, and I think ultimately it's certainly fulfilling and, um, but it's intended to help other people because a lot of people helped me on my journey today too. So including mm. both of you, and I'm grateful for it. I love it, brother. I love it. And for everybody in Win Monday, it's, how are you measuring success? Probably more important, how are you measuring significance? And I would wholeheartedly agree with the Estes brothers that it used to be for me. And then after the worst day in my life, losing my pops, my hero at 19 years old, every single day, my sole mission is, did I make my dad proud? A different way of asking it is, am I making my hero proud? And I know what my answer is at the end of every day. And so for you, who is that person you would do anything for? Who is that hero? Why are you running the race? And if you can externally dedicate this year and beyond to that person, you literally cannot lose. So win Monday, go pick up your copy of Prepare for Impact Chat. Ryan, love you guys. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having Thanks, us, Paul. Great, great conversation, brother. Appreciate it. Another fire episode of the Win Monday podcast is in the books. If you gain value from today's conversation, don't forget to subscribe and share it as we grow our Win Monday nation together. Until the next time, let the rest of the world fantasize about Friday. You and I, we choose to win Monday. <laughs>